You're listening to Tov, a podcast about the good place and Jewish ideas. Hi, I'm John Spiracevet, and I'm so excited to be here co-hosting with Myra Meskin and Ben Gurin. And if the two of you would like to say a little bit about where you do your Jewish teaching and learning. Sure. I'm a PhD student in the uh, graduate program of religion at Boston University. And I work remotely from Boston for the American Jewish University as the associate director for the Mass Center for Jewish Journeys. And you are both rabbis. Both yeah. rabbis uh, of different denominations. I was ordained at uh, Ziegler, which is a conservative seminary, and then yeah. was ordained at HUC. But we met in L.A. because both campuses are in L.A. And and the two of you are married to each other. I checked this morning. Yes, we are still married. <laughs> Now, um, when we have new co-hosts, the thing I like to ask is, which of the main characters of The Good Place do you think you are most like? And I want to say none of this, what rabbis always do, which is that there's some of everybody, you know, some of all, uh-huh. each of us, I'm going to force you. This isn't a life commitment. This is just a conversation starter. <laughs> uh, I know you've been getting a lot of rabbinic cheaties. I think I'm going to add to your tally there. Of I Definitely Chidi's uh, indecisiveness and yet excited about the big questions. I'm trying to think, what other Chidi qualities do I have? Uh, am I saying the right thing? Wanting to be, I think you like want to contribute something. Like Chidi's very excited about uh-huh. his thesis and wants to contribute something good, but also like doesn't. Oh no, what do I do? Yeah, I've <laughs> been getting many stomach aches. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Myra? I was thinking about this last night. I think. I was identifying a lot with with Janet um, lately, at least in the sense of the role that Janet plays for like her group of friends, which is, you know, I think Janet's best quality as a friend is her her listening, um, that she's easy to confide in, and you can tell her anything, and I, I that's what I strive to do, and I I think I do that. Um, I also think you know she's. <laughs> She's like very intelligent, but a little bit like naive at some times and like, you know, like knows the pop culture things, but is a little bit awkward. And I think I sometimes fit that bill. <laughs> I have to go back. You might be the first Janet. Oh, uh, yeah. Actual Janet as opposed to I, I I said I was an aspiring Janet. So I'll ask you that other question, too, which is which. I don't know uh, if yeah. I identify as like a, a walking, uh, you know, dictionary or. <laughs> Yeah, information delivery system or anything like that. <laughs> Is there, which of the characters would you wish to be more like? I think I said, I was thinking about Michael in the sense of both his like willingness to try things, try new things to sort of like take a risk, which I think is really, really bold. And also just his, I think he he often achieves like the level of radical amazement that I think I mm-hmm would strive for of mm. just like he's just so curious and interested in the world and you know finds fascination in the smallest things like paper clips and suspenders and car keys and things so like that. So much done with the belts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh I think I could also do the cop out if I see positive things in all of them that I would love. Of um, course, but yeah. I'm gonna try to go with something eclectic. Um I'm gonna pick Jason that uh Jason's uh Joie de vivre and what else? I said that right in French, right? My mother, yeah. my mother, my mother-in-law is French. I'm a little bit worried if I mispronounce yeah, French yeah, on this yeah. thing. 
he cares about his friends. He uh, he's very loving, but he's also uh, you know he he knows what fulfills him. He loves being in relationship with other people. He doesn't have a lot of Chidi's anxiety. He just kind of um, acts, and he knows what makes a fulfilling life, which is being with your friends and jalapeno poppers. So I would love that. <laughs> there is something about jalapeno poppers, or I don't know, and. Is it jalapeno poppers that um, has pop, has popped up in a couple of different comedy contexts, and I I wonder uh-huh. if that's like a thing, but uh, side issue. Anyway, so you know, I would normally ask you about your your good place origin stories, but I understand you have quite a profound story, which is that your daughter, who I just met before uh-huh. we went on on our Zoom, is called Eleanor. Yes, yes, so, we did. We did. The, tell, our us story. tell us a story. Tell us a story. I will say that. Honestly, like total origin story, we can't totally remember. We did not watch it in time. We we binge watched the first two seasons just before the start of the third season. And this question required a lot of conversation. We were scrolling through text messages of, "Did you tell me about the show? Did I tell you about the show?" And you, I think you we saw decided, the yeah, we had seen the billboards for it, and I was like, "Oh, one of those shows about the afterlife," and wasn't that excited about it. But we. We were on a Mike Schur kick. We are we love Parks and Rec. Um, we had just like finished rewatching The Office, and I think Ben was like, "Oh well, Mike Mike Schur has another show that just started. Um, maybe we should give it a shot." And then we fell in love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you were married at the time or dating? Uh, we were already married. Yeah, yeah, that was our first year of marriage. We just gotten back from. Yeah, our first year of marriage was uh, my my rabbinic year in Israel. Uh, we had just gotten back and we started binge watching. So yeah, and then, and then you know, we loved the show and we were naming our daughter and uh, we had I've been looking through name books and we had two of the people we wanted to, you know, we were considering naming her after was Ben's great grandmother, Helen, and my grandmother, Eileen. And we looked up Helen mm-hmm. in a name book and it said, oh, Helen, is like a, a name with the same meanings as Eileen and Eleanor. And we were like, wow, that seems really fitting. And we did fall in love with Eleanor a little bit because of because of the good place. Yeah. And um, we actually pulled up uh, what we what we said to her at her Breit ceremony, where we actually admitted that <laughs> we somewhat named our daughter after a TV show. You mean, you mean, I think I read it when we did. I the think baby you naming. did read it. Yeah. Yeah. So here's what we said about her at her baby naming. This was after we said very nice things about our grandparents. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> cards on the table, you are also more than a little named after Eleanor Shellstrop from the TV show, The Good Place. Eleanor grows into becoming a person with the unique combination of traits that your mama and I share and love about each other. Seriousness of purpose mixed with silliness. Eleanor Shellstrop doesn't shy away from tackling the toughest problems, for example, saving humanity, while maintaining a playful attitude with a bit of irreverence. We hope you learn from her example the power of chuva, answering the call to leadership, and advocating for your friends. Those are our Eleanorish blessings for her. Wow. First, just wow. And uh, I wonder if there are other Eleanor, Eleanor babies around. Oh, I have around. no doubt. I, it's on the. It's on the up. Eleanor as a name. I think when we were looking at names, Ben kept searching the, the social, social security. security website has like a name popularity thing where it tells you like how how many kids are named that name recently. And uh, Eleanor was down and is on its way back up. So I would credit the good place. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. It is interesting. My sister is named Ellen and she's named after our 
uh, grandmother, Eleanor, who uh, died in between when the two of us were born. And I just always thought of it as an older person's, an older generation's name. Well, you're talking to a Myra. Yeah. So, <laughs> the other Myras I've heard of are, oh, my grandmother's name is Myra. So. <laughs> I know that Max yeah. is coming back and things. But, yeah. Uh, it's at the pediatrician's good. office or something that somebody was, they were like, oh, what's your name? And I said, Eleanor. And she goes, you don't hear that much anymore, do you? And I was like, well, <laughs> it's a classic. It's coming back. We were talking before that we we both listened to the the official Good Place podcast that that Ted Danson always says Eleanor. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Very prominent. I was also noticing very prominently in this episode because the name Eleanor is said so many times because uh-huh. we're yeah. talking about real Eleanor and fake Eleanor and it's making me so. a little self conscious about how I refer to her and. Uh, names that I just take for granted that I say that maybe I'm not saying them the right way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it seems like up until the podcast, Ted Danson was like not aware of the fact that like, that's how he was saying it. There's like a moment in the podcast where he's like, do I really say that? Yeah. And you're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty prominent. We still like the name. <laughs> well, we are here to talk about chapter nine, which is called someone like me as a member and would love to hear uh, you start us off with a summary of the episode. Eleanor and real Eleanor died in the same place at the same time. Real Eleanor, in fact, was trying to save Eleanor's life. Tahani tries to help Michael be a tougher negotiator with Trevor and the other representatives from the bad place so he can save Eleanor. And bad Janet makes her first appearance. Trevor, Chidi, Eleanor, and real Eleanor go on a double date. And Eleanor is demoralized by both real Eleanor's life story and Chidi's obvious regard for her. Janet and Jason discuss jalapeno poppers and begin to bond. Eleanor flashes back to times when she avoided being part of a group in high school with friends and at work. And finally, she says that she has changed because of the people who want to help her. Thank you. So do you have any just particular favorite parts of this episode? Pulling up our list here. We were watching it last night, and I don't think I'd laughed out loud at watching the show for a while until, you know, putting a critical eye on it. Um, you you commented that wow you don't really you really notice how smart the show is when you're like really yeah 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 I think I laughed out loud of like when when real Eleanor is describing her life story and she kept (laughs) going yada 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 and I went to America yada 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 I learned English from Seinfeld yada 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 like the delayed aspect of that joke I just thought was like really funny and well I think we yeah. also love, uh, we're big Parks and Rec fans. So right. watching Adam Scott, uh, who plays Ben Wyatt on on Parks and Rec, who is like the nicest. Right. Ben, ben Wyatt, who he played on Parks and Rec, is like the nicest guy who like wouldn't hurt a soul and like is like very anxious about, you know, uh, hurting anyone's feelings or doing the wrong thing. And he's now playing Trevor, who is like just the worst of the demons. <laughs> As we're also our last two forum costumes, I think. Leslie and That's Ben. That's true, we yeah. Leslie and Ben and uh, Eleanor. We did. Yeah. We'll get you a picture. Yeah. You definitely have to for, we have to put that on the website. Yeah. <laughs> he has lots of like little moments I didn't even notice before until we were watching the episode with a like critical eye of just like looking bored or like making weird like sighing no- sounds or like farting noises or other things in the middle of people's conversations. <laughs> Letting people out now. Oh, that was, yeah. I didn't even notice that before. It just like eats and like food just like falls out of his mouth. <laughs> that was the part he told me to rewind of like, did he just do that? That was a good choice. 
Ted Danson's reads of lines are probably my favorite. So every once in a while, I just kind of think in my head, a unicorn bib. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's got this great and the physical comedy and describing the, I'm moving my hands now, the unicorn uh, holders. Yeah, like, yeah, the corn holders. Corn holders, yeah. Right. Unicorn corn holders, yeah. If somebody hasn't made those on Etsy, I don't know. Or, oh, there you yeah. go. I'm sure they exist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, bad Janet, who makes that one brief yeah. appearance. Oh, that is so good. Is Lots so of super. first appearances of things are mentioned. First mention of Sean. Yeah. Yeah. Bad Janet, the demons. I, you get a, definitely a lot more hint of what the bad place is going to be like. <laughs> the fact that they're, they're always texting and the, the Bluetooth guy kills me. He's my favorite. <laughs> The uh, the bit where they do where they uh, unwind by listening to uh, should we listen to Mussolini's speech or the right, yeah. Yeah. Rant or Nixon ragging on the Jews that was I was gonna say was that the first edition of Jews on the show do we need to comment on that I yeah. think I paused it last night and said do we need to bring that up or no I think it's a little edgy because I think uh, like is Mike sure himself actually Jewish. I'm sure his writers are Jewish. Yeah. I know Megan Megan Amram on the podcast right. So like when she comes on the the official Good Place podcast, one of the writers and like says, she says her name and something she's like, someone asks like, oh, Amram, where does that come from? And she's like, you know, Amram from the Bible. <laughs> the show, you know, is insistently not religious. And I thought it was, it was kind of interesting actually that they threw that, I mean, because all this stuff about, you know, the Jews is as a trope in whatever media or stuff like that is, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a topical thing, you know, and the show doesn't really talk directly about issues of the day at all. So it was kind of between Mel Gibson and Mussolini. And Nixon, <laughs> that's a, that's, that's a pretty Jewy trifecta there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know if Mike Schur is Jewish, but I, I would, I would say he's definitely a mensch in the sense yeah. of like the way people talk about him and yeah. just like the kind of comedy that he, enjoys and the kind of shows he produces they're optimistic believing in the the goodness of people and the ability of human beings to rise to their best selves and so i think that's that's why we love mike Sturr shows importance of service yeah being part of a team yeah so I, I really like the atia sarkar who plays uh, who's called here real eleanor and we said we're definitely you know spoilers are, are totally <laughs> yeah. even more just what you're saying about adam scott like she's playing this role uh, so earnestly when we know even her character is going to turn into this uh, complete opposite. So she doesn't know at the time, right? That's right. what we were listening. We listened to, to the, the, the yeah. real, the, the good place podcast. And she, at the time said she didn't know the end of season one twist um, at the time that she was playing this, she was just playing it as the most, the best person uh -huh. ever, which, which would be like the person who even, is just fully compassionate and fully um she thinks eleanor is in love with chidi or something like that and she just wants to be supportive of her right. you know or like she apologizes you... for not actually saving her life even yeah. though she died like right. I, and i am so sorry about that like really earnestly you know it is so hard to play and i think so hard to write also i mean like you were you you know what you wrote about eleanor who's a much you know our eleanor who is a much more character of many facet yeah. is and it's probably easier to play and easier to to create and um to embody this person without without being so like we can't possibly like this 
character. Uh-huh. Like that's that's I think a really hard thing to to pull off. <laughs> and just yeah. and how straight she plays this whole thing. What what was the line? Can I have some water and whatever food that doesn't turn your doesn't out, turn, doesn't to turn to spiders? Or <laughs> 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 she describes being little left in it. Was it like a fish tank or something abandoned? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> she just looks straight, and it's uh, and they're perfect. I think I've often commented about this show how how they're how far to push a joke in a bit, you know, they go just, they go, they push it just one step beyond where you might laugh <laughs> and then laugh one more time. And then they, yeah. then they pull back. And in that mode, actually, I loved when that, that interaction between uh, Janet and Jason, um, mm-hmm. their first little moment of their budding mm-hmm. uh, romance where, uh, where Jason gives her a, a hug and she asks why. And she explains, you're the first person who's ever been nice to me. And then, she says, okay. And then she stands up and she's like, <laughs> right. so solid. Yeah, Janet's like process of becoming human in relationship to Jason. I think we, I, I don't know. I think we definitely noticed that a lot more this watch through. The fact that somebody, you're, she just says, okay, afterwards, which like in later seasons, Janet wouldn't say that. Right. She would interact back, but you can tell she's like really trying to process someone being kind to her and not just asking her for things. Which she does do. She does do that later when other people come to her or whatever. She like will throw her arms around them in a hug, but uh-huh. like not really get it or not really. <laughs> I mean, this this is the moment that like really seeds their relationship for for the rest of the series. Oh, I know this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so and Jason's right. response of uh, when she's like, people keep asking me questions and I don't know the answer to them. And he goes, oh, that was my whole dang life on earth. <laughs> yeah. And on the other side, there is the moment earlier in the uh, when the bad place people are around and she's not able to, uh, I guess, answer. I forget what the question was. She wasn't able to answer. And I think of, he wants jalapeno peppers. Yeah, poppers. Poppers, yeah. right? Oh, right. She doesn't. Poppers. And she's like, sure, no problem. But tell me, like, what is a jalapeno? And also, what, what is, is a poppers? <laughs> also, what is a jalapeno poppers? And then they mock her. You know, they laugh at her for yeah. not yeah. knowing or for being, you know, uh, not quite fully uploaded. And she, and she kind of laughs with them. And I was so, like, I was so horrified. Like, I felt so, mm-hmm. that was so icky. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, the story about how, you know, essentially how she and Michael become more human, I guess, over the show yeah. is, is sort of in a way what you're saying, at least as compelling as watching the humans become mm. more fully. Whatever. Oh, yeah. So, you know, Great. for me, these episodes, like the the last one and this one, were kind of in this series of that I kind of had to get to them. I felt like there was a handful of episodes, maybe five, six, seven, that were kind of turn out to be meteor. And then there's this kind of story work that has to get done before mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is where probably around the time in my first watch, I kind of actually dropped off and now, you know, I'm trying yeah. to yeah. power back through and uh, knowing how much I love what's happening, what's going to come in season two and beyond. And then, and knowing that this is like, wondering how this is necessary to build to there has been kind of how I've entered into it. And this particular episode actually got me thinking about something that I haven't talked about at all with any of the the other hosts, which is just the the Hebrew word good, tov, which is what I've named the podcast, and how the Torah actually first describes the things that are described as good are in the first chapter of creation, pretty much everything. And mm-hmm. it's not until the second chapter that we ever hear of something that's not good. Uh, first, we hear about the the tree yeah. of knowledge of good and bad, so that we mm-hmm. forget our first thing that's bad. And then right after that being introduced, where God says it's not good for the the man or this human, first human number one, to be alone. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was uh, really interesting as a 
what not not good essentially being defined as being isolated or being alone, which is obviously the topic and the title even of this episode. And I was thinking about how it wasn't until I don't think this came to me until until very very recently the uh, recent time teaching about this Garden of Eden story that like there's everything about. Eve in particular trying to decide how to process this ethical decision that she has to make seems like it's very thoughtful and she thinks about her what she likes about the fruit and how it's interesting and all these kinds of things but the only thing that like she's just alone in that moment she may yeah. makes that alone and the uh and then what happens afterwards between Adam and Eve is just all about about alone and uh and that goodness can't really come alone and I think one of the things that uh, and I will end my speech shortly about the, uh, <laughs> one of the things I think that um, maybe I want to say that uh, Torah or Judaism brings that sometimes uh, classical ethical philosophy doesn't bring. And what I like about the show that it does bring is that is that your individual goodness is actually a team effort and you actually can't. There's no such thing as being good on your own or developing your good qualities on your own. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, the the crux of the episode and, and why I remembered this episode or the, the the moment in this episode that stands out to me is the moment at their double date, Trevor and Eleanor with real Eleanor and Chidi, and hearing about the different circumstances of the two Eleanor's lives. Our Eleanor, our protagonist, you know, says like that she went through this trauma of her parents' divorce. And, and we see later on just how troublesome her her parents are as as role models in general but she goes through this divorce and of her parents and that really affects how she acts in life and then we sort of hear the incredible sob worthy story of real Eleanor of like oh I never met my my birth parents I was left in a fish tank in Bangladesh I was adopted by the Shellstrops they died when I was four all of these things that she survived and yet she somehow comes out as you know this saint of a person and sort of thinking about like what what are the circumstances that shape how someone is able to either rise above it or let their circumstances overcome them like what what is it that does that and how much of it is reliant on on the people surrounding you in that flashback where Eleanor um, is in high school and like you know makes an announcement that she doesn't want to be friends with anybody you know, uh, she doesn't want to belong to any group or have any people surrounding her. There was a question where I paused and I asked Ben, would she have turned out any better if she had, you know, joined that mean girl group or joined the right. stoner group or like whatever, you know, like, does do you just need to have friends or do you need to have the right friends in order to be able to sort of overcome and to have good influences and to to rise above whatever or or to have the strength to sort of rise above whatever life throws at you you pointed out later with the movie theater theme uh, thing that like her two friends her roommate also oh, yeah. viewed Eleanor as a bad influence of like I think I should move out and find a different roommate of that uh is some right. of her aloneness also is it self-perpetuating in that capacity of she wants to be alone she doesn't want to be part of other groups and then people who are in groups look at her and say wow that has caused you to be the kind of person that I don't want to be around either mm -hmm. The episode did a really nice job of giving us enough laughs really toward the top. We didn't get really like the meat of those flashbacks, I thought. We did have the high school one kind yeah. of early on, but most sure. of the, the stuff that really articulated, I think, the difference between kind of a real transactional approach to people and this this 
emptiness of, of not having somebody came later on. And I felt like they, they really nailed it. I mean, she really, you know, she talks about the uh, way where she gets fired for not wanting to be part of a team. She's like, Severance, that's great. And, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, not sitting next to people is worth it because she gets more popcorn with her, <laughs> with her own right. points. And uh, I thought that was, that was really nicely, uh, I mean, it's kind of, I think an obvious point, you know, but, but they, they, I thought they delivered it really kind of nicely. She really seems irked by the distinction of being called fake Eleanor mm -hmm. versus real Eleanor and why that, you know, why does that bother her? So, I mean, I'm sure it would bother any of us to a certain extent, but the idea that like f fitting in or sort of belonging is, you know, like she, she wants to be identified as herself and not about like, does she fit, right? Like fitting is not what she wants to do. And she doesn't want to be identified as, you know, fitting or not fitting. She just wants to be herself. And yet she, you know, I'm thinking as you're saying that, that in, in Maimonides, when he talks about the various things a person can do to do tshuva, one of them is to change your name. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And here she's, you know, she's going to be, you would think she's going to be dogged forever by the fact that there's someone with her exact name who she you know, can't live up to. And this whole thing we often, we've, you know, constantly go back to about the uh, Ribzusia and, you know, when yes. you, right. I wanted you just, you know, to be the best. And, and here she's faced with someone who has her. <laughs> and her exact her. name and is the, you know, why weren't you like Eleanor Shellstrop? Well, I met a real <laughs> Eleanor Shellstrop who's like way better than me. Yeah, I think that that makes sense of why it's her. So Myra, your question about that role of, you know, friend, actual friendship versus connection is really, mm -hmm. I think, super too, because it seems like, and, and our other hosts have pointed this out along the way, that uh, as much as Chidi has been her actual teacher of philosophy, which was done for transactional purposes to earn her enough points to stay where she mm -hmm. is, that um, her, first it's her, she doesn't, you know, I think she doesn't want to sell him out, you know, and make him you know, she comes to something where she feels like she has to confess to, to do something for him. And here in this episode, she acknowledges that like, she wants to be like him and that that's her choice. You know, she's been uh -huh. inspired and it's really unfolded over time. That's the other thing I think that sometimes I look for in, in philosophy, philosophy that doesn't happen is the sense that, you know, you just, as, as good as we want to be, we can't necessarily be that good today. And, and it's, mm -hmm. and it's frustrating. Like, and I guess that means the person we're with can't be as good today as they're eventually going to be and how to have the, the appropriate amount of patience and maybe the appropriate amount of pushing to, uh, to get there. And how many times that both Michael and Chidi have to, and even real Eleanor say like, we, we want you to be part of our, yeah. our group. And she pushes that off. And, and I really, I couldn't even pinpoint in this episode, what, where is the light bulb? Is it just that she, it's that combination, I guess, of that accumulation and then her flat, her final flashback. It's like, oh, I get it. Wanting that sense of belonging, right? Her, her first team fell apart on her, right? Her first team, her family, you know, just disintegrated and she was on her own from a very early age. We learned that mm -hmm. later in the series, just how early, how disturbing her family life was, but sort of it, it really does take time and patience to, to become that person. And, you know, I think when, when, um, when Ben and I were naming our daughter, you know, we were like, we, you definitely shouldn't name your kid after a TV show character, unless you've seen the whole thing, <laughs> right. You want to be able to see their, their full arc. Right. Um, <laughs> because it really does take her time you know if people have only seen the first season or you know 
individual episodes you know you're like why why would you want to name your right. kid after someone who is you know sort of like you know she is kind of insulting and she is kind of brash and not not always her best self and it takes her time to really feel like even even wanting to to become better um for the real reason right and she I think she refers to that later on too of like noting that in the beginning she just wanted to be good or act good so that she could stay um and then I think this is sort of her sort of actually stepping out and saying, no, I want to be good because, because of my teacher and because of my friend and um, that those, they inspire me and, and I want to be with them and exist, exist alongside them and be worthy of their company. I hadn't thought about this until you mentioned that her first team fell apart on her, but that her, her loneliness was really a defense mechanism of mm-hmm. she had to strike out on her own, trusting other people can only you know, hurt you mm-hmm. and where the, the, you know, the ethics of the good place, the show ends up of, man, sometimes circumstances on earth make it rather difficult to be a good person in relationship to others. And what would it look like if you removed some of those hardships and some of that hurt? Could people improve beyond their station? And so some of her experience here is unlearning defense mechanisms mm-hmm. that actually served her well on earth, right? She was able to survive on her own from the age of 16. Mm-hmm. You know, when we think about the bigger post-twist idea of the show, like she is having this awakening, despite the fact that the people around her aren't the most phenomenal people right. in the universe, <laughs> and actually some of yeah. them are conspiring against her. <laughs> right. Which is right. Pretty, pretty remarkable. <laughs> so you brought something too, I think, a uh, some Jewish texts or ideas to put on the table here. I thought of this Agatha, the story from the Talmud. Uh, this is kind of the story I think about when I'm thinking of The Good Place as a show, Big Adol, or writ large here. Yeah, Myra and I were learning it together, and I think it has a lot of interesting parallels with this episode. The idea of wanting to belong and wanting your place uh, in The Good Place revolve around a student-teacher relationship. So uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, do a quick, uh, I'll do a quick summary here, but uh, yeah, you guys... Uh, Let's learn this together. Chime in if you're like, oh, that's interesting. That's like, you know the drill. So we're in um, the Babylonian Talmud. Uh, the, uh, the tractate is Hagiga. Uh, and it's the bottom of 15a to 15b. Um, one of the most uh, famous images in rabbinic literature is Rebbe Meir following his teacher, um, Alicia Benabuya, who here is called Acher, the other, um, after his apostasy. Uh, Aher has left the rabbinic fold, but Rabbi Meir is still in relationship with him, and Elisha Benabuya is riding his horse on Shabbat, which is a major no-no, and Rabbi Meir is following along after him, um, learning Torah from him. They get to the, the the boundary of as far as you can go on Shabbat, and Aher says, uh, Meir, you should uh, turn around because I uh, know from the steps of my horse that this is as far as you can go on Shabbat. So I know I'm breaking Shabbat, but you shouldn't be, or you do, I, I know that uh, you, you don't want to be. And Rebbe Mayer does a little play on words here where he says, you know, I can go back, but you too can also go back and making a play on uh, Chuva as return here. And uh, Acher says a really interesting statement. He says, haven't I already told you, I have already heard from behind the veil, behind the separation, some kind of prophecy in some regard. Between the two worlds. Between the two worlds, yeah, that uh, return rebellious children, uh, everybody can do tshuva except for Acher. And how he knows this isn't really gone into. But I, I thought when we were thinking about this episode of um, what Acher's saying here is saying, I don't belong here. That was the thing that Eleanor said to episodes back of uh, when she reveals yeah. herself as I'm here by mistake 
Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't belong in the good place. And Ahir's very much got this, this built-up belief called "I don't belong there." Rebbe Mayer isn't buying it, so he uh, takes him to uh, either a series of uh, um, study halls or synagogues, depending on which of these paragraphs you're looking at. And there is a thing in rabbinic literature of a particular form of divination that you would go and see a child learning and say, hey, what are you reading? And whatever verse they tell you in the Tanakh and the Hebrew Bible, that verse, it, it's like it's like reading your horoscope in the morning. That verse would tell you mm. something about what's going on. And so um, Rebbe Meir and Acher go to 13 different synagogues and they walk in, they ask a kid, hey, what are you reading? And it's all lines in the Tanakh saying, basically proving Acher right that you can't return. One of them is in Isaiah 48, 22. There is no peace, said the Lord, concerning the wicked. He's just going one after another. And they're all verses about Acher saying, see, I told you, God said, I can't, everyone else can do tshuva, but I can't. I don't belong in the good place. Well, I think Acher. that what's, what's coming in terms of um, that relationship between Rebbe Mayer and and Acher as his teacher uh, in the good place, it's flipped a little bit. Uh-huh. Who is teacher and who is student? And you pointed that, out that like it's cheaty, really. Like the re- she doesn't want to be a part of a group or stay or feel like she belongs until she's like sees cheaty as an. I guess now I'm thinking of cheaty as an example versus fake Eleanor as a real Eleanor as an example that like Eleanor can look at real Eleanor and say oh my gosh, I can never be like that person. That's a real good person. But she looks at Chidi and says, oh, that's a really good person who inspires me to want to be a better person. And I don't feel fake in relationship to Chidi. She feels more human and more realized because of her student-teacher relationship. I think there is also, there's definitely an element of student-teacher in in the Talmud that is a little bit about like living your life with your teacher, which I think is true for Eleanor and Chidi as well of like, you know, he, he is her literal teacher in that he stands at a blackboard and makes her read Plato and Aristotle and uh, Aristotle. <laughs> yeah. Like Chipotle, Chipotle supposed to be Scor- Scorpio, Scorpiotes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But there is this element of like, real Eleanor is a little bit like this, this sort of image Shiny that object. is unattainable as opposed to like, oh, if I, if I just live with this person and they can both teach me things and I can, you know, walk with them. And that's really what a, a teacher, a teacher is, right? And that's even the image that we're getting from this story is that they're, they're teacher and students walking or riding alongside each other uh, on this ride of life. I think it's so interesting you're describing this uh, this scene in the Talmud that the as long as they're it's, I'm just associating here it seems like as long as they're walking even though the relationship is unsettled and and Achir doesn't buy what Rabbi Meir is trying to tell him they are uh, they're in that conversation and they're and they're even uh, you know Achir is even still trying to share you know frame of reference and guide and guide Rabbi Meir but as soon as they walk into these settings these social mm-hmm. you know uh you know institutions that it just it can't seem to fit in there the good place is set up to be this neighborhood like it is to some degree resembling i guess it, it's not they do a lot of walking so they'll either walk through the main no. street or they'll walk they'll walk around or by the non piranha infested lake or something like <laughs> that but um but it's also sufficiently not it's not a city it's not arizona it's not jacksonville mm-hmm. 
Um, I wonder. Cincinnati. Everyone, yeah. everyone should. <laughs> yeah. Medium everyone. city. Yeah. <laughs> and I, as you're retelling this story from the Talmud, I'm just, you know, aching at this sense of it's also so close. You know, why, why, when that friendship isn't powerful enough, you know, mm -hmm. as, as I think, Myra, you were saying earlier, like what it's, you know, there's so much that rides on having and it's not even just the right friend i mean Rebbe, i mean rabbi mayor couldn't you couldn't ask for a better yeah. person to try to welcome you back in that situation mm -hmm. well and that's also actually one of the interesting things i remember um thinking about because we learned from other places in the talmud that rabbi mayor also doesn't have like the greatest life circumstances right, right? the the backstory for acher or alicia benavuya is right that he sees this child fulfilling a mitzvah for which you're supposed to be rewarded with a long life and he and the child dies that's sort of the the backstory of his apostasy and Rebbe Mayer his own children die right we get the this story of of the way his wife very delicately um, and smartly <laughs> tells him the, about the fact that his his two children have died and yet Rebbe Mayer never goes in that direction he becomes more devout mm -hmm. and I, I actually wonder I've never thought about this before but I wonder if maybe that's why he continues to seek Acher as his teacher mm. um, as sort of someone who has felt this pain deeply yeah. and still you know wanting but but not wanting to give it up or not not wanting to to go that far and figuring out, you know, where is that line? And to your point about like life circumstances, I wonder if the difference there is Ruria. Like mm. the way that Rabbi Mayer's wife is in relationship with him regarding the death of his kids, you know, what, what in happened? In terms of to... the support system right. that you have when these traumatic things right. happen to you and whether or not you're able to overcome your life circumstances right. to it's... continue to, to, it's to act ethically you. and good. Yeah. yeah. Who, who is around you, who's supporting you, who is inspiring you. And there has to be some element that's just right. And then others can be approximate. I think in the previous episode, uh, when it looks like Eleanor is going to be taken away on the train and Tahani, you know, says I, in whatever way, I have some, some affection for her, the, for you, uh -huh. I might, one might for a street, street character. Yeah. And like, if that was the best that Eleanor had, that of course wouldn't be enough, but it's sort of, um, I guess it all revolves around Chidi and to some degree around around Michael. It takes a lot, I think, in the presence of all these people and the demons and everything for her to stand up and say, you know, all I can tell you is that I'm trying to be better and this is why. Mm -hmm. And knowing that, you know, she can't, she can't be convinced that that's all going to work and that, you know, and that these people, right, she doesn't know for a fact that all these people are there for her, even her friends. And um, and we see throughout the rest of the series how she has to win this um, trust. She has to convince herself to trust folks and to trust herself that she's up to mm -hmm. it like over and over again. And maybe yeah. Acher in the story in the Talmud is like, you know, I can't like, I'm willing to go to, what did you say, 13, you know, like after uh -huh. the 12th, after the 12th study place, mm -hmm. like, fine, I'll go to one more. But like, how many can I go to and hear people and see the evidence that it's not going to work? I mean, he gives it a, it sounds like he gives it a shot. It just doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the other tropes in the show, which I think is also a trope in the second half of this story, which Ben can get to. But the trope in the show is that like, sometimes you do fail and it's your, you have to sort of rely on your friends to pick you back up or to, to help save you or, you know, to come back for you. Yeah. I think, I think that's also true in the, the, the end of the story in the Gemara. Should I go for it? Yeah. 
Yes, yeah, so the, the other reason I thought of this story, I really think about this when I think about the good place um, in general. I think a lot of times people say that Judaism doesn't have uh, built up afterlife conversations or we're so focused on the present, but um, really the rabbis think uh, rather uh, intensely about Olam Haba and the world to come. Um, my teacher, Candace Levy, uh, uses, says that uh, the, the rabbis use Olam Haba as a way of solving a lot of the problems they can't quite make fit regarding uh, the attributes of justice and mercy and um, that Olam Haba is really where they work out a lot of their issues. And I think the good place really allows for a conversation about what are the ethics of the af afterlife. It's not just how we expect us to behave in relationship to each other in human ethics, but how do we make our lives meaningful? How do our lives count in some capacity, our limited time, in a way that uh, at the end of our life, we can, can we look back and, and keep learning? Can, is, is this it? Are we, as um, you know, Sean says in a later episode, human beings when they die are just good or bad, full stop. So I love the second half of the story of uh, talking about what what is the, how does Acher actually, who says he doesn't belong in the world to come, uh, how does he relate to it? Uh, when Acher passed away, the heavenly court declared that he should not be judged nor brought into the world to come. He should not be judged because he occupied himself with Torah, whose merit protects him, and he should not be brought into the world to come because he sinned. I love this, that like Acher goes to the medium place. Right? <laughs> That's uh, great. He learned too much Torah. Yeah, yeah. If, he, if he did... If you tried to judge him, he would have too much Torah, you know, in his toolbox that you would have to send him to the good place. But he's also the arch sinner in the rabbinic pantheon, right? If we can't, what, what does it mean that Acher gets to go to the, the good place? That can't be right. So he's held in the medium place. I, I, I feel confident drashing that that's the medium place. He's not being <laughs> judged. He's not in the world to come. So Rebbe Mayer uh, comes back into the story and he says, it is better that he be judged properly and brought, brought into the world to come. So Rabbi Mayer comes and says, uh, this is bullshit. That like, that why, <laughs> why, is, why is my teacher stuck in the medium place? There's no chance of improving, improving yourself. Rabbi Mayer says, when I die, I will request this of heaven and I will cause smoke to rise up from his grave as a sign that he is being sentenced in Gehenna. Uh, the idea that Rabbi Mayer says, you know, I actually do think Acher is uh, redeemable. He does need to make penance for his sins in some capacity through some kind of afterlife learning process, which I think is what the good place ultimately gets to. The, that um, in later seasons, when the characters realize that the ethics of the point system are also terrible and flawed, that what we really need in an afterlife ethic is one of continued learning and growth. So Rebbe Mayer says, you know what, I think he should go through the system. He should go through the system and improve himself and, uh, and learn. And so uh, the Gemara says, when Rebbe Mayer passed away, smoke rose up from the grave of Acher, um, implying that he got to leave the medium place like Mindy St. Clair and go through the system of, uh, I, I don't, I think Gehenna might be a little less pleasant than the system, but. Uh, <laughs> well, a little more like the bad place, but. <laughs> right. So to some extent, he's being held accountable for the person he was on earth. Right. And that's sort of, you see this through the smoke that's, that's rising from his grave. But then, you know, the rabbis aren't sort of pleased with that ending either. And yeah. do they want to speed up his process to get him to the world to come and he has another again right a friend who comes by and says if we all stick together there's no way they can keep him you know paying for his sins and they'll have to let him come to the world to come yeah and that's the end of the story with Rebbe Yochanan yeah the end is that Rebbe Yochanan uh, says um uh, really that was so nice that Rebbe Mayer just sentenced his t-shirt to be burned uh when I die the smoke is going to be extinguished from his grave you you really liked that line of the 
Rabbi Yochanan saying, uh, can it be that there was one sage among us who left the path and we cannot save him? If we hold him by the hand, who will remove him from our protection? That Rabbi Yochanan says, we can help facilitate Acher's tshuva process. We are the people who can bring him along. And I think we- Right, if we, if yeah. we go and we hold his hand and we walk with him and, we're, and if we all sort of come together as a group and we see that throughout the good place, I think also of yeah. like, they have to judge us as a group the later seasons when they're in front of the judge like maybe she'll yeah. judge us as a group you know that that we improve as a group and we um all of that and this idea of like oh I, I, in order to sort of become that best version of myself to to go to uh Olam Haba, i need i need the help of friends who will hold my hand and i think that's like the ethics of the Olam Haba system that i really appreciate that the good place has to offer uh which is that um your your life means something your life becomes the text your life becomes the torah that you study in the next life mm. that you're able to fully see the consequences of your actions how did my life impact other people how were some of my character flaws contextual and how are some of them things that you know what i chose not to work on and and i'm really sorry about that and so um i yeah i, I love this story the, the story ends with rabbi yochanan um when Rabbi Yochanan passes away, the smoke ceased to rise up from the grave of Acher. The idea that even Acher, even this figure who is literally called other in the rabbinic tradition, isn't beyond saving. I'm having, I had started to have a stomach ache at the very end of this, the Chidi <laughs> stomach ache, because my understanding is that Acher, like what, I mean, on the one hand, he, he goes off the the path of the Jewish path, he begins to reject mm -hmm. the basic ideas, but that the other thing he's done is to collaborate with the Romans to persecute mm. uh, the Jews and his fellow, his fellow sages or his earlier fellow sages. And which to me seems like the, the worst thing. And mm -hmm. I liked where you were going, Myra, saying maybe, maybe as a group. So if the rabbis are a collective who, okay, they've got one guy who really, you know, did some did some pretty serious damage. But if you look at all of us and our project, like there's no project that's going to be without its serious bad side effect. And mm -hmm. uh, but take us all together because he was part of that, and part of what made us good, you know, is is him. Like that that I could see in terms of the group process. I have to think about stomaching Acher as somehow being cleansed of his. Like the only thing I could say maybe, and I don't I don't know the the characters of the timeline enough to know based on which but you could illuminate if you want is maybe enough time has passed that the damage he's done has healed so at least you know somebody can in some sense forgive him enough to say well you know bad is what you left behind we it turned out okay you know i don't know if that's if that's how it goes yeah i mean the idea that there is something even though this isn't the point system, it's a different ethical system, and that there's still something a little distasteful about that process. I'm thinking, uh, you know, I'll I'll adapt um, Winston's Church, Winston Churchill's uh, democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the others. That really, you know, chuva is not a satisfying solution. The idea of God's overwhelming mercy, even almost to the extent there in uh, first chapter of Rachot, the idea of God's mercy and God's justice being set apart from each other and recognizing that God is overall merciful, but has to let justice flash through the world in order to prevent the effects of too much mercy. But the alternative of too much justice, we have Midrashim, of the world just can't stand in the face of, of perfect justice. So that is uh, is never satisfying because something's still gone wrong, but it's better. I, th I think it's better than all the other forms of alternative mm -hmm. ethical sorting out of the meaning of our lives.
So where yeah. I think in the in the show, you know, Eleanor, we've we've talked in some around some previous episodes about just how bad is Eleanor when she's bad. Mm-hmm. You know, I yeah. mean, yeah. The, uh, this kind of movie theater ticket behavior is certainly you know, not delightful. But the other part, which we see in this episode where she, the company we now know where she defrauds people by selling these uh, supplements that don't work and probably are harmful and is gleeful about it. Like that's like, I don't think she's, you know, killed anybody. Even the dog from a few episodes ago who she let eat all the treats, like uh-huh. <laughs> suffering, but you know. Right. Still or the things she does with her roommate's dress and the t-shirt, yeah. and, which Trevor is wearing in this episode, right? Wearing the t-shirt. <laughs> Right. But see, it's also weird that like, yeah, like I laughed at that, right? Like she mistreated a do- like the, the line that they have to thread to make Eleanor a character that you want to root for, but also you need to understand that she ended up, in, you have to feel okay about her ending up in the bad place. If she was, if she was an amazing character, you would be upset about the injustice of this from the beginning of season one. Well, my reframe is that it's not like from her point of view, like I could accept that a person could could change there's all kinds of of that and i and i'm a total believer in that chuva process in you know in definitely in the center of the bell curve or whatever then you know, uh-huh. you know, fairly far out and eleanor is uh you know we don't see anybody who's you know uh been poisoned by by her bad uh by the stuff that she's selling on the phone so we don't know whether that actually happened if we did like we would feel like that would be a line that would cross. That's the only little bit of my stomach ache around some of these things. And uh, yeah. and Acher is tough because I, I definitely, the, the, the ideological part of Acher, you know, questioning and being a total radical questioner around this is uh, like that, I think is certainly redeemable. Like that's not, to me, that doesn't throw him out. Actually, it's a good way to bring back the, the episode. We haven't even talked about Groucho Marx's which has been, I believe, quoted in different ways. I wouldn't refuse to join any club that would have me as a member. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if there's others, like, you know, you can, uh, you're not the ones, uh, like, there's a club maybe I'd like to belong to, but it's not this one. Like, you guys still believe, it's you still believe these things that I can't fundamentally believe in, mm-hmm. even if you're willing to to reintegrate me. And like the rabbis here being concerned about like the integrity of Olam Haba. What is it really? This guy gets to come in? Um, what's the other story? Right. Of, yeah, the... It's it's after his death that there is like one member of like, aside from his own student, there's one member of the rabbinic class who sort of takes pity on him, mm-hmm. but it's after his death. I think there there is this sense of would people not to explain away certain behaviors, but I really like when, when people ask me why I became a rabbi or, you know, what's important about that. Like the thing that I talk about always is helping people find a sense of belonging. Hmm. And that, you know, for me, Jewish community provided that place of, of belonging. And that without that people can really fall into a sense of deep loneliness and despair and and even at its taking that as far as it can go a real sense of anger or depression that ultimately can find unhealthy outlets that undermine our understanding of what is a just and right world right like you know when when we hear of people who have committed mass shootings or other atrocities like that like how often do we find that that those people were shunned by parts of society or were desperately lonely not that it explains away in any way the behavior that they've done but it does I think trigger something in me that says what is our responsibility 
to continually reach out to people who don't feel that sense of belonging, who don't feel that that they um, have relationship with the world and people in the world and a sense of rootedness in, in a life that can be very destabilizing often. When I, when I see this story and when I see The Good Place, I think that's one of the things that really speaks to me and I think really comes out in this episode of, of how much does a sense of belonging and and people's willingness to continually sort of like fight their way into your life, right? Like mm. the people in the good place in this episode are fighting their way in. And as we've said already, like she doesn't always accept it at the beginning. It really takes her a long time to, to say, okay, fine. I, I do want to be part of this group. I, I, you know, she rejects them along the way quite a bit. The willingness to be persistent in pursuing someone and wanting to invite them in continually and to see their to see beyond what they present to you um, in terms of their potential that that's the mitzvah that we're commanded to here and even on earth she the this the company that where she had been temping for so long that was willing to have her and and wanted, mm-hmm. wanted to like they were and and getting and continuing to have people like that go back for her even after she either can't or doesn't you know accept that that's, I guess, something which is being shown to us too. It wasn't just this uh, good place people who were All right, like, her life story. What's the response? The response there is not like, okay, well, I guess you can continue to be a temp and think about it or like, oh, oh let's continue this conversation. The response is, well, then we have to let Fire you go. You. If yeah. you don't want to be part of us, then we're rejecting you. And mm-hmm. like, that is familiar to her, yeah. right? But like people continuing to pursue her after she says, I'm not so sure about being part of your group. That's the thing that's unfamiliar to her. And it's going to be this great nudge, you know, when we get into the future iterations where, where it starts to happen on earth, which is, which is so cool. Yeah. Wow. Um, well, thank you. This is a great, actually was a great text to bring to this and uh, it'll be in the notes and I encourage people to both read it, but it's almost requires you to take it and have a conversation with somebody about it because there's so much to, to unpack in addition to what we've done. You have teachers who help to launch you on thinking about, about ethics or, or even just ethical behavior that you want to call out. Uh, I will say that um, definitely want to give a big shout out to my teacher, uh, Rabbi Elliot Dorf. I think a, a gadol hador, a, a great teacher of our generation, of our days. He is, I think in, in the world of ethics, his expertise is in um, medical ethics and bioethics. And I certainly took courses with him on that in rabbinical school, um, but also just in general, uh, an example of a person who I think not only studies ethics um, as an academic and as a rabbi, but studies ethics in the sense of really being willing to live a life where, where you're open to changing your mind when you read things as, as society grows and develops and changes in front of you. So yeah, Rabbi, Rabbi Elliot Dorf is uh, certainly my teacher um, in ethics and, and in life. Two I was thinking of, um, uh, Rabbi Richard Levy, Zifron Eli Bracha, who was an amazing teacher of mine uh, at HUCLA and really embodied one's life being a text and using, some, using your teacher as an example. Uh, I really uh, get from him. Um, a bunch of us went to him and said, hey, we really want to learn something with you. And he said, sure, we're going to learn Rambam's Hilchot Deot of uh, 
Safari translated that as like human dispositions or whatever. And he's very much somebody, as we're reading this text, and it's somebody who's very much embodying this uh, in, intentionally lived, uh, intentionally lived life. And then uh, my teacher, uh, Rabbi Rachel Adler, who uh, really made me think about the ethics are being the, the core, uh, the be all and end all of the tradition. And that um, uh, without having a ethical core or a concern with uh, how retreating other people being what, uh, what the Torah inspires you to continually improve at, we're really futzing around the edges without uh, continually returning to that. Well, thank you, Ben and Myra, for doing this together, for co-hosting today. I hope we will do this again more than once. That'd yeah, be great. Sounds good. Thanks for having us. Well, thank you out there for listening to another episode of Tove. If you've made it this far, we hope we've added something to your day. Help other people find the podcast by subscribing, rating us, sharing on your social media. Our episodes' texts are worth a look and a deeper dive, which you can find at tovegoodplace.com. I'm John Spirisavet, and you can follow me at RabbiJS3 on Twitter or Instagram, or drop a note to tove at tovegoodplace.com. It was great co-hosting this episode with Ben Gurin and Myra Meskin. You can follow some of Myra's work on Instagram and Facebook at Brandeis Collegiate Institute. Thanks again for listening, and in the spirit of the official Good Place podcast, now go learn more about something good. Bum, 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 bum.